Welcome into the MBA University podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Kagan, and we are so excited to invite you into the inaugural MBAU podcast. These are exciting times. We are uh, finally getting this up. It's been a long wait. I've been really drying out this drop for a while, but we finally landed uh, an esteemed enough guest to be able to really break the seal and just have our first podcast. Today, we have someone that you all know and love uh, from Twitter. You might know him as Hoop Venue on Twitter, but uh, he is Tyler in the real world, and we are so excited to have him on. Tyler, what is going on, man? Uh, Really just appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to be a part of this podcast and especially on the first episode. I mean, I get to... I get to come set the scene a little bit, you know, for what's to, for what's to come. But uh, yeah, man, I'm just chilling. I'm excited to talk some hoops with you today. Yeah, absolutely. We had to set the bar high for the first one, you know, and, and get somebody involved who could really uh, just get some takes off. Um, and that's the plan today. But before we get into the basketball, we want to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, our guest hoop venue. So I just wanted to ask you, Tyler, what really got you into basketball um, and what made you want to start hoop venue and start kind of getting some takes off on Twitter? Yeah, well, I mean, what got me into basketball was just like my entire life. I played basketball since I was a, the, the littlest of kids. I uh, had an older brother who I was very, very competitive with and he played basketball. So, uh, you, you know, you know how that story goes, but, uh, yeah, I played basketball my whole life, uh, AAU school teams, things like that. And, I was always very small. That was my one thing. I was always very small when I played basketball, so I always had to look for interesting ways to get an advantage, whether that mm-hmm. was shooting from deeper, whether it was like coming off of a screen a certain way. And I think that kind of made me look at the game in a different way where it was like more in-depth and like learning about all of the ins and outs because I had to gain that advantage to make up for my mm-hmm. lack of size. And that's what really got me into like the depths of uh, studying basketball. I didn't start taking it to Twitter or even making content on it until mm-hmm. I'll say probably 2019. I was always following the NBA. I was always a fan. I always played, but that was when I really started like getting into analytics and stuff. And it started because I was fascinated with Wilt Chamberlain. As <laughs> as random as that is, I had a Wilt Chamberlain. I had a Wilt's Goat account where I was like an avid agenda pusher of. Wilt Chamberlain, like, just appreciate this guy because he's a statistical phenom. And uh, that really got me into analytics. I was starting to get added to more statistical group chats because of all the Wilt stuff I was putting out. And uh, naturally, that led to me just becoming a huge fan. And it all just jumped when the coronavirus hit. And then Mm -hmm. I was consuming basketball content every second of every day. And that's when it really just, (laughs) that's when it took the leap, I'll say. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, unconventional start of a 20-something-year-old man uh, <laughs> posting Wilt Chamberlain content as his, uh, as his origin story. But I, I really uh, I like that. It kind of fits with the general vibe and appreciation for history and basketball history that you have on your account. Uh, so it's, it's only fitting that you began as a, a Wilt Chamberlain stan account. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, great. Um, and I actually really deeply identify with your story of having a older brother who played who you were competitive with I was the same way I was 12 years younger than my brother uh, and he was six foot four uh, and would just absolutely have no mercy on me at all anytime we would play uh, but that that kind of that being small and having to kind of figure out a way to uh, 
conquer the Giants was another reason that I got into basketball as well and kind of fell in love with uh, the game beyond just the the surface level of of getting buckets, but actually like the the nuances of how to do so. So. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us, and we appreciate getting to learn more about you. Um, but this is uh, the main event today, is uh, taking a page out of uh, Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz's book of going over our five most intriguing teams that we have in the NBA this season. It's a very simple segment. Uh, it's very to the point, but it is a great way to be able to just dissect and get a little bit deeper into some of these teams that we find to be particularly intriguing. And Tyler and I, uh, beforehand to let you in, we were talking about uh, what we had and what, who we wanted to pick potentially. Uh, and we were just kind of fawning over how deep the league is and how interesting all the teams are, except for, you know, maybe a couple who shall not be named. And we were, <laughs> we were truly uh, appreciating uh, the depth of intrigue that's going into this season. Um, and that's mostly sparked by the parody that we have in the NBA right now. Um, and it's just a good time to be an NBA fan. And we're happy that you're kind of along for this ride with us. Uh, so how we're going to do it, Tyler and I are going to go over our lists. He's going to start and start at number one on his list and go all the way down, see where our lists don't or do overlap. We have not shared our lists with each other yet. So there's going to be genuine surprise. And it's also going to allow us to kind of just get takes off off the off the dome about these teams just to remove any possible excuse that I could have uh, for not knowing enough about these teams. I wanted to give myself something built in, you know, uh, just in case I say some statistic that uh, is, you know, a little bit wonky. Sometimes you just got to pull stuff out and hope it's right. So uh, <laughs> nevertheless, we're going to begin uh, with Tyler's number one most intriguing team in the entire NBA this season. Tyler. Who's the most intriguing team to you? I feel like anyone who has ever interacted with me or is familiar with my content in any way knows that my number one team's the Denver Nuggets. I mean, God, I mean, come on. My entire brand for the <laughs> 2022 season was uh, the Nikola Jokic MVP push. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I think this is the most exciting team for me next season. We're looking at the return of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., two mm-hmm. of the league's I don't have a ranking, but two of the league's better offensive players in the entire league. And I I just want to throw a number out there. The trio of Murray, MPJ, and Jokic in Mm -hmm. 2021, the last time we saw them together, those three together had an offensive rating of 123.9. Wow. Which is like, okay, how do you stop this team, right? And... For some more context, only one other three-man lineup has ever, since the stat was being tracked, exceeded 122. And that was Jokic, MPJ, and Will Barton in the same season. <laughs> so, wow. so uh, yeah, you have this unprecedented offensive trio spearheaded by maybe a top-five offensive player ever in Jokic. I mean, the guy can do literally everything. And mm-hmm. you have two guys at different positions who fit perfectly within that style of play. And what does Denver do? They go and surround these guys with defense. Um, yeah. They they still have Aaron Gordon, who's a very versatile forward. He can switch pretty much across the board and offer some rim protection. They added KCP, who's not a huge defensive player, but is definitely a plus and definitely does some solid things. And then the underrated acquisition was Bruce Brown, which like he's just going to fit in that offense perfectly as this cutting, uh, quick decision-making guy off the ball and then is obviously a phenomenal defender. I think this is a team I have penciled in. I made a little rough draft of my power rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, I have them 
somewhere from like the four to six range in terms of teams uh, where I think they land as contenders. Um, the only real question I have is, uh, what are they going to do about a backup center? I think that's the one thing I really have with them. But uh, yeah, you take the floor. I mean, I can talk about the Nuggets all day, but I, I'll try and c- try to condense it as much as possible. No, absolutely. I mean, Denver is absolutely one of my favorites uh, to come out of the West this year. They did not make it onto my list, um, only due to the fact that I'm just so confident that they're going to be really good yeah. that I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, the Nuggets. I'm good with them. Like they are um, an incredible team. I mean, Jokic, like you said, is otherworldly he's transcendent offensively and the offensive rating you mentioned the 124 i believe you said the number yeah. one team in the league this past year had an offensive rating of 116 <laughs> so an eight point uh <laughs> net difference there is that's like the almost the difference between the number one team in the league and the last team in the league um in scoring so that is just an absolutely just stratospheric uh numbers there you mentioned mpj someone i'm really just so excited to see back i I pray that his back is um is in good uh form and because last time we saw him he's one of the most efficient shooters that's really ever Ever. played i mean he's that six foot ten uh he's knocking down like 45 percent of his threes on big volume 49 percent from the corner Oh yeah. He's all over the place. His openness rating. I know he was in the third percentile in openness and he was still knocking them down at just such a ridiculous clip. Um, and he's just a guy who is, I mean, made in a lab to play next to, uh, Nikola Jokic, especially offensively defenses, you know, another, another conversation, but what you bring up is interesting. I mean, the people who they chose to surround them by, right. Monty Morris and Will Barton are both really solid players, um, on their own. I would say in a vacuum, I think they're, probably of near equal value to guys like KCP and Bruce Brown, uh, but their play style and where they're um, allocated their skills is just much more towards the offensive end. Barton is kind of a loose cannon, a little bit of a strange decision maker sometimes, doesn't really try his hardest in transition. Um, and then Monty Morris, while he's pretty smart positional defender, he's just really small. Uh, and that is something to be able to eliminate both of those guys from the lineup and then replace them with KCP, who you mentioned he's not some elite wing defender, but he is an excellent guard defender, and he's amazing as a transition defender, which is something Denver has desperately needed for a long time. He's very – he's kind of got the newer age Danny Green uh, is is what it, I'm sure they're hoping for out of him, where it's not – uh, locking down, you know, the, the premier wings, but he is able to just stick with guards, be a nuisance, create some turnovers, play the passing lanes really well. I just love what he brings this team. He's going to fit synergistically with Jokic incredibly as almost every player does, <laughs> frankly. Uh, and then you mentioned Bruce Brown, man, like hyper cutter. Uh, he's going to be an absolute monster coming off of these Jokic cuts, kind of playing these weird inverse lineups where Jokic is the ball handler and Bruce Brown is the screener. And they're able to just run all kinds of actions off of that. Jamal Murray's coming off and they're doing dribble handoffs. It's just going to be impossible to stop. I just, I can't even comprehend how you're supposed to stop this team. You have to hope that people are missing shots really. Um, Cause Jokic is going to be able to orchestrate this thing beautifully. Uh, and the defense is interesting as well. As far as what their closing lineup can look like, this is something I want to ask you. This is where the intrigue for Denver comes to me. Uh, we're in a playoff series. We're in the second round. We're playing whoever we're playing the, the Clippers or the Warriors. And we have six guys who I think have a viable playoff starting or closing 
ability uh, and but you can only play five at a time so i'm wondering what you think their optimal lineup is what it should be um, because we have uh, murray we have kcp we have bruce brown we have aaron gordon we have mpj and then obviously Jokic, right so that's a six-man group um, as you mentioned that mpj murray Jokic trio produces absolutely obscene offensive numbers uh, but it does beg the question is Denver's best lineup in a playoff setting going to maybe have Bruce Brown in there instead of MPJ? What are your thoughts there? Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I think that's just very matchup dependent. I think it'll, it's very flexible in the sense that like mm-hmm. maybe in, against certain teams, you can afford to throw MPJ out there instead of KCP or instead of Bruce Brown. And maybe you're not losing as much juice because as, as flawed as he is, I don't think Jokic is, like, this massive detriment that a lot of people think he is. Like, there are two glaring issues. He can't keep up with perimeter players in space, and right. he's not a great rim protector. But, like, we've seen guys with these issues tread water in the right situation. I think Michael Porter Jr., as weak as he is defensively, does have a little bit of rim protection, especially mm-hmm. just because he's so long, tall, and vertically gifted. And then, uh, obviously, Aaron Gordon covers a lot of those issues as well. So, again, I think it's just matchup dependent. You mentioned the Warriors. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> like, sure. you got to try and outgun them. So then in that situation, I'm probably leaving MBJ on the floor. But against, like, the Clippers, maybe, you, you because they have two very good, skilled, big wings, mm-hmm. uh, you want to maybe uh, bring Bruce Brown on. Um, I feel pretty comfortable bringing Bruce Brown in closing lineups over KCP. I understand that KCP brings more spacing, but uh, it's worth noting that Jokic in his own right is kind of like this weird spacing hub where it's like he's right. going to pull out the rim protection so you can afford to have a guy like Bruce Brown cutting and whirling around the court. And then, of course, uh, those three, Murray, MPJ, and Jokic, are going to give you a great offensive floor no matter who the other two guys are, regardless of if it's Draymond Green and Ben Simmons. Like, these guys are going (laughs) to give you some offensive juice. And to put a hot take on it, um, I made a tweet, I want to say a month ago, maybe two months ago, that I said I would not be at all surprised if by the end of the season the 2023 Nuggets are the best offense in NBA history. Would not be surprised at all. Um, whether that's my prediction, I don't know. Steve Nash had some, Steve Nash had some lofty offenses, but, uh, yeah, this is going to be one of those like premier transcendent juggernaut of an offenses that is going to be just, uh, I can't wait to watch them. I just can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be spectacular. The, especially the Deandre Jordan minutes. I'm just so excited about those. You know, it's going to be great. (laughs) All right. I love that Denver Nuggets talk. I think they're going to win 60 games and be the one seed in the West. Uh, They're going to be an absolute juggernaut out there. But we're moving on to number two on the hoop venue intriguing teams list. Who you got for me? I got the New Orleans Pelicans. Ooh, also not on my list. I'm so glad. This is great. Yeah. Um, The Pelicans are on my list because, I mean, how could they not be? Zion Williamson is coming (laughs) back. Like, this guy is – I remember I saw a basketball index tweeted that he was the first player in their database to lead the league in rim shot creation and rim shot making, which still holds true. He also would be first in both in 2022 uh, from 2021. Uh, This guy is just in a situation that was playing Eric Bledsoe heavy minutes next to him and Steven Adams. This guy is like getting to the rim more than Shaq. Like this is (laughs) just, this is just, I mean, in his second season and then, the flashes he showed at the end of the year with, like, Point Zion uh, getting out, pushing the pace, like, 
collapsing the defense at will. Um, he can play out of the post, like a dimension that Giannis doesn't really have. I feel like Giannis and Zion, you can kind of compare because they both have their flaws in the perimeter. But like right. Giannis does, isn't starting from seven feet away, taking one step and exploding off of two feet. Um, Zion has everything in the offensive toolbox, uh, everything. And what intrigues me most is the Pelicans have so many interesting lineup options and philosophical possibilities. Like, yeah. are we going to see Herb Jones at the two? Like, like this is just one of those things. I assume their starting lineup will look something like CJ at the one, Ingram at the two, Herb, Zion, and then Valanchunas, which, like, dude, <laughs> that size, that Immense. length, that, yeah. that athleticism. I mean, I'm also a huge Brandon Ingram guy. Uh, I think CJ McCollum, Zion pick and rolls sound terrifying. Um, yeah, I just think this is one of the most flexible uh, lineups uh, opportunities for lineups in the in the entire league, and I'm just uh, Zion is my number one excitement, of course, but also just like how they're gonna build around him because this seems like it could be just a phenomenal, phenomenal offensive team again, like Denver, where it's like very unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love what you mean by the the different like philosophical kind of routes they can take they have so many well when you have a guy like zion it just opens up so many doors um and the pelicans are to me definitely well this is interesting i was trying to think of who the most variant teams are going to be as far as like record possibilities and something the pelicans came to mind immediately as like i could see them winning whatever like low 50s and i can see them kind of sputtering out in my mind i was saying that to myself but then i was like what reason do i have to think they won't win at least 45 games. It would literally, it would just be Zion being hurt, right? That would be, I think the, the one thing that it could be, but sans Zion injury health, I just think they're really good. You know, like that, I think they're another team that is, that is built beautifully. I love Trey Murphy off the bench, uh, Jose Alvarado too. Like they have these young guys who are super solid. Um, and then obviously, yeah, the, the star attraction is Zion. He, yeah, I put out a, a thing of takes, uh, yesterday of 28 takes because we had 28 days left uh, till the NBA season started. And one of my very first ones was that Zion is going to win the scoring title this year. So that's something that, while maybe I wouldn't uh, put him as the number one favorite, I think he is a great bet to do so. 28 points per game as a 20 year old. And just, he is the most gifted finisher I've ever watched. Ever. Um, it is, it is astonishing the way He's able to just get into guys' chests, and then he has such soft touch. That's the key where he's overwhelming as a, as a physical specimen, obviously. I mean, that is – so, his center of gravity is so low, so strong, and he's able to just bully whenever he wants, just get airborne, hang there for a while. But then he has the touch to be able to just flip up odd angle, off foot, uh, two foot – floaters and flips and and teardrops and they all fall i mean his, his yeah. who who scores 28 points per game with an over 60 percent true shooting i mean it's just impossible i mean that is shack uh that is you know that is shaquille o'neal level numbers and he was doing that as a 20 year old and he's only going to get stronger um as he as he matures i mean his body is has not fully matured uh, which is a scary thought so yeah zion is ridiculous i love uh herb jones is just so much fun i know he became like blog boy uh fan fair 
last year. Everybody was pining for him to get on uh, first rookie team, which I probably agreed with as well. He was incredible as an older rookie, to be fair. Uh, but his defense is spectacular. I mean, he, he was playing the in the 99th percentile of matchup difficulty last year, according to the Basketball Index, uh, and he still put up top 98th percentile in defensive impact stats. I mean, it is so difficult to do both of those things at the same time. Most of the impact stats guys are going to be drop bigs because they're put in a position to save rim points. Uh, and it's a very select few of wing defenders who are able to kind of creep into that group. Um, and Herb is able to do that as a rookie, which is just hilarious. Uh, so he's going to just be fun to watch. His wingspan is just very uh, insulting to ball handlers. He hurts their feelings left and right. Uh, and it's really fun to watch, man. He can play those passing lanes incredibly well, provide a little bit of weak side rim protection even. Some of these like peel-off blocks that he has from some of his defenders are really unique uh, to him and just a few other of these like super stretched out long players that the NBA has. Uh, so he's brilliant to watch. And then B.I., man, I mean, you mentioned it, but he is so much fun. Uh, he underrated playmaker, underrated at getting to the rim. Uh, this team's rim percentage is going to be just stupidly high with Zion in the lineup and Valanchunas. I mean, they are going to bully teams on the glass. They're going to win the possession game in that way. CJ is going to give them some really great end of shot clock stuff. He was the, had the highest field goal percentage of any player in the league um, with less than three seconds on the shot clock last year uh, with, uh, among qualifying players. So he is one of these guys that like, if he needs to hoist one, he can. Uh, with a hand way in his face. Um, and it's just a really, really fun team. Um, and I'm excited for them. I'm a little nervous about what they look like defensively uh, outside of Herb. <laughs> He's going to have to go to the chiropractor for all the weight that is on his shoulders for this season. But overall, man, they're going to be a joy to watch. And I would be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs. Did you have anything else to add before going to team number three? Yeah. Um, you had like this outstanding monologue there. And I, I have like I, I thought of like seventeen different responses, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and tackle each thing one by one. Uh, for the first one, I'm very glad you mentioned Zion's touch. I also want to add to that, um, his handle, his handle yeah. at that size and athleticism is something we probably have never seen before. Maybe like LeBron, um, and then also the explosive nature of his athleticism. Uh, mm-hmm. We have guys, we've seen guys that are big, strong, and t- have fast top speeds but just like the lightning quick first step the ability to get up to like a 48 inch vertical with one step um absolutely incredible uh also the herb jones how you brought up his impact data uh i also want to throw some more context he was doing this on a bottom defensive team like the pelicans were a bad defense so for him to have that type of impact with that level of matchup difficulty on that type of defense (laughs) is just like the holy the, the holy trinity there um yeah, exactly. Uh, what else was there? I mean, the Pelicans as a team defense are questionable. I also wanted to add that you said you don't really have a reason to f- see them sputtering out besides injuries. Uh, after the CJ trade, the Pelicans had a, pl- I, I want to say it was a plus four net rating to finish out the season, which is like top 10 team stuff. Um, and you're adding mm-hmm. in a guy who, in his nature, is kind of like a ceiling raiser. Uh, Zion yeah. is kind of like, I, well, he's a little bit of both. He's, he can do it all. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy who can play off the ball. He's going to play off of CJ very well. He's going to create so many open opportunities. I'm expecting a spike in Brandon Ingram's three-point percentage back mm. up to, like, closer to 40. Um, same with CJ. I think his three-point percentage will spike very greatly. And, uh, yeah, this is just uh, – I'm just very excited. That's all I have. 
for the Pelicans. No doubt. No doubt. They are worthy of excitement. And Mr. Hoop Venue, who's team number three? Team number three is another uh, member of the Hoop Venue brand with Minnesota. Hey, they are number one on yeah. the NBAU intriguing team list. Tell me why. Um, well, I'm a huge Rudy Gobert guy. Uh, obviously, that was before the Jokic MVP push. The OGs remember the Rudy Gobert 2021 Defensive Player of the Year push. This guy is <laughs> a generationally great defender. Uh, definitely does lose some value in the postseason. I think both sides of that are kind of like getting it wrong i don't want to say wrong because obviously it's subjective but like you have those who think he's unplayable in the playoffs but then you have those who are like oh it's all team issue um he's just as good which i think there's a middle ground there i think he's losing some of his regular season value but like not to the degree where i would say he's not still arguably the best defender in the game like that value mm-hmm. in the regular season is something we probably haven't seen like i feel comfortable saying that that 2021 season specifically was Probably the most valuable defensive regular season I've seen since, like, 08 Kevin Garnett, which is just incredible. Like, the level of floor raising he's able to do by just being this... He he owns the paint. Like, there's... No, there's If he is in the paint, your team is not going to generate efficient offense there. <laughs> right. So you better find a different way to do it, which is what teams in the playoffs try to do. And, uh, yeah, I think Carl Anthony Towns is going to look a lot better defensively. I think... People are going to start flinging around hot takes that he's a positive defender. I won't fall for it. It's a Gobert effect. But, uh, yeah, Ant is probably my favorite young player right now. I mean, there's obviously mm. some controversy going on with him. So we'll steer clear of yeah. the <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> steer clear we'll a little. stay away from the Ant praise. Stay yeah. away from the Ant praise. But as a player, um, yeah, I think he's probably one of my favorite young talents in the league on both ends of the floor, really. Um, I think D'Angelo Russell's going to have some uh, – What's the word I'm looking for? I think he'll kind of revive himself to more of that mm. all-star level that we saw in 2019 because I made a video on this. This is the first time he's had a actual like elite roller since the Nets. Um, yep. he, he hasn't had that rim-running roll threat, which I think Gobert brings a lot to the table offensively there. And uh, yeah, the depth, they've got, they've got good wings. They've got athleticism. They've got Jalen Noel, who's I'm very excited for his development. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this team is just absolutely incredible on – uh, offense. I think on defense, they have some issues. Uh, it's still not the perfect situation around Gobert, but it's a lot better. They have two capable secondary rim protectors in the starting lineup, along mm-hmm. with Kyle Anderson. Um, yeah, this is just a team that I think uh, they're actually my pick to be the one seed in the West, which is wow. a hot take. I actually have a bet up uh, with my good friend Young Mustard um, for the <laughs> Timberwolves to w- get the one seed barring injury and whether I view them as a number one playoff team well that's that's a different story but uh I think people are going to be surprised by just how good this team is a few weeks into the season yeah absolutely I love what you said I think what you said about D'Lo is extremely instructive Uh, he is a really frankly he's an underrated pick and roll playmaker and he's somebody who exists in an ecosystem with a vertical spacer and that really ups his ceiling. Um, he, that is a huge part of his game. He's an excellent lob thrower. He's great at working with those guys and using their space to create space for himself. And that's something he did with Jared Allen so beautifully in the year, the last year he made the all-star team um, on the nets. And he Jared Allen was a big reason for that. His, his uh, showmanship in the pick and roll, he's able to just kind of work it 
uh, get guys on his hip, um, and then use the space that those vertical spacers uh, give him to hit his little floaters, hit his little mid-range, get to his step-back threes, um, and then spray the ball around. He's a pretty good playmaker out of there. And I think uh, while he definitely was a playoff dropper this past year, uh, and I'm not even sure that he won't be again, I think he's going to be particularly valuable in the regular season in comparison to the last few years. And then one of my favorite players, uh, favorite young players, is Jaden McDaniels. Uh, I know, I think you just purposely uh, left the the floor wide open for me to just gush (laughs) about Jaden McDaniels because I'm basically just a Jaden McDaniels uh, propaganda account at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, you got to. He is just, he's the closest thing to a healthy Jonathan Isaac that I think we've we've seen uh, in the league. He is absolutely huge. The rumors are swirling that he's six foot 11 now. Uh, and he looks it, I mean, he's, he's outrageously big. He's super long. And then he has some of the most just functional athleticism I've ever seen on the defensive end. Uh, his second jump ability is one of the best I've ever watched on tape. Um, his ability to recover, uh, off of screens, off of uh, late rotation in pre-rotation. Uh, he just absolutely obliterates everybody. He's a wing who was fifth in the NBA in blocks per game last year, which I know blocks per game aren't the end all, end all be all of good. Good, um, you know, defense, but it's incredibly impressive from a wing. He also ranks second in uh, defensive field goal percentage against uh, versus expected. So essentially what this stat is, is there is based on synergy tracking data an expected field goal percentage that guys are supposed to shoot at the rim, uh, depending on how far away they are, what kind of shot attempt it is, X, Y, Z. Um, and then they're able to s- calculate what the expected field goal percentage is against you based on the type of shots and who the player is that is shooting them and then spit out a number of how well did they do versus expected. And uh, guys shot 8% less than expected against Jaden McDaniels out the rim, which was second among non-centers. And that is just, that's ridiculous. That adds up to such an unbelievable amount of points saved throughout the course of a season. Um, he's a really a difference maker on that end. And it's going to be, it's going to be just stupid to watch him uh, be the weak side uh, rim protector with Rudy Gobert and oh drop. Who's gosh. arguably the best uh, deep drop defender we've had since who knows who, you know, like yeah, serious. Yeah, Matumbo <laughs> is the name that came to mind. He is unreal in deep drop, as you mentioned, uh, and that's going to be so fun to watch. Something that's really particularly intriguing as well um, is what their defense is going to look like with Cat and Gobert and McDaniels. They have a lot going on there. So um, and they size. played this extremely aggressive style last year. Chris Finch was just like, hey, balls to the wall. We're going to win the possession game. I don't care if you foul them. We are going to force turnovers. We're going to get offensive rebounds. Like That was uh, part of their philosophy as a team last year. And I wonder how much that shifts with the introduction of Rudy Gobert uh, doing a lot more of the traditional drop. Like, What do you think Cat is going to be doing for a majority of these games, especially when we get to the playoffs? Um, I think there's a lot of flexibility there. For one, I think Gobert is a lot better on the perimeter than people like to give credit for. Like, sure. Um, he's not obviously not going to lock down people on the perimeter. I mean, he's just huge and he's just kind of funky. But uh, yeah, I don't think people appreciate how well he moves and controls his momentum for being 7'2". Like, that's very impressive stuff. So I think Gobert, compared to the average center, can play those aggressive coverages. I think you can send Gobert to the level of the screen. I think you can switch with Gobert, and you're not really losing anything. So, Mm -hmm. for me, in those situations, Cat would be the 
uh, guy roaming over to the lane. And Cat is, for all he is defensively, he can alter shots at the rim. He can do that. Yeah. He can block shots. He's big. He's big. He's athletic. Um, he can do that. He did that even against John Morant. John Morant was struggling at the rim when Cat was there. Um, Cat wasn't always there. He was kind of a cone. But uh, <laughs> when he was there, when Cat is there, uh, he's a good to decent rim protector. And uh, if you send Gobert at the level, he's going to offer some resistance to allow Cat to uh, make up that awareness edge and get over. And then, of course... Or you could just run this, like, safety-centric defense where you have McDaniels yeah. and Gobert in both corners and then just send Cat <laughs> at everything. Like, throw Cat yeah. at the ball at all times. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> what do we do? Like, if you just hard double the ball every time with Cat and then you have McDaniels and Gobert on either side, like, you're not yeah, going to get anything going to the rim. <laughs> That's when teams are going to start living in the mid-range. Um, against the Warriors again, <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, really it all option. comes crumbling all down comes against crumbling Golden down, State. But if you avoid the Warriors, uh, there's some interesting avenues there. And I think, uh, yeah, I think Cat playing one of two roles where you just have him just aggressively pressure the ball um, at all times, almost like a box in one. And then mm-hmm. also uh, as this like roaming, like pre-rotated uh, rim protection guy, I think, like I said, I think he'll look situationally like a positive defensive player, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And they were 13th in defense last year, which, I mean, slightly above league average. That's not awful. They did lose Beverly and Vanderbilt, um, which is worth noting. Okogi as well. Uh, Those are solid defensive players. But when you plug in Rudy Gobert into your defense, it just achieves just a different level of uh, ridiculousness. They were seventh in offensive offensive rating as well, which I just can't see any realm where this team isn't excellent in the regular season. Um, which is is really exciting, and uh, I'm really excited to watch Jade McDaniels. That's the one hope is, like, the shooting is a little wonky. You have Cat, which is helpful, but if McDaniels isn't hitting shots um, or able to attack closeouts between him and Rudy, things can get a little bit tight. But what we saw from him in uh, in the J-Smooth crossover event, you know, he's dropping 50, just crossing dudes up and hitting buckets on uh, on – you know, cash and carry baggers. I think, uh, I think he'll be all right. You know, I could see him coming out and having a really nice offensive season and surprising everybody. And then that being even more of a seal and razor for this team, but all right, onward and upward we go to team number four on the hoop venue list. The Memphis Grizzlies. Ooh, not on my list. Tell me why the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I don't think there's any like very specific reason why I'm, uh, putting them on here. I'm just, so excited for their development. I think, like, mm-hmm. with Jaron Jackson being out, that brings up some interesting questions, at least to start the year, that brings up some interesting questions. Like, who, where are those minutes going to go to? Um, How are they going to look? I'm high on pretty much every single member of that team. <laughs> John Morant is one of my favorite players ever, and is just like this... I mean, I could watch... I could If someone just puts me in front of a screen and says, watch every John Morant drive to the basket ever, I wouldn't get bored. Um, I would <laughs> yeah, not get bored. Give me some popcorn, brother. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't get, just let me get some food and water. Um, I'm also very high on Desmond Bain. He kind of fits the mold, the mold of like that Clay Thompson role player. And, uh, mm-hmm. I also am a huge Clay guy. So I love Desmond Bain. Um, obviously Jaron Jackson with him being out, uh, you have Zaire Williams who, uh, I don't know what to expect, but, uh, <laughs> he's a fun player. He's, man. he's a fun player. Yeah. You got Brandon Clark who. 
is just like this explosive 6'9 big who is just the ultimate pick and roll guy. Yeah, uh, floater god. Floater guy, and he's even got some jumper jumper to him. Um, love Brandon Clark. Steven Adams is always fun uh, as like this weird passing and screening hub who grabs five offensive rebounds a game. Yep. Uh, you got Tyus Jones running the bench units. Uh, you got Dylan Brooks who, for all his Kobe Bryant shot selection, um, <laughs> is still a very very good defensive player and brings like that edge to the squad like that that mm. energy um they drafted extremely well they've got they, they have a clear plan in place it's okay we got our franchise guys we got our john Murray yeah. and our desmond Bain and our jaron jackson now let's surround them with the ultimate role guys that we know have a high floor and mm. you know who else followed that mold the golden state warriors <laughs> so yeah. it's like uh yeah there's something there, there's something special going on here and i'm just they're going to be on my top five every season because I'm just excited to see their development. That's really all it yeah. comes down to. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I think that uh, they are so unique and interesting in how they continue to thread the needle of getting better every year, but getting younger every year. It's really like an intriguing thing. They somehow, okay, we're going to kind of offload this guy and get a new pick. You know, we do the Valanchunas trade. All right, we bring in Zaire. And then the next year, okay, like we don't, we don't need Kyle Anderson anymore, right? We got Jake LaRavia coming in. And it like they they chip away at the edges of the older players and are funneling in younger guys who are like 80% as good, but then the the guys who are already established on the team, the John, the Jaron, and the Bane, are getting 20% better to make up for that drop-off. So they keep getting better even though they're getting younger and it's an unbelievable job by the front office i mean it's really really fun to watch and i just can't get enough of the steven adams desmond bain dribble handoff game it is hilarious and ridiculously effective desmond bain is legitimately one of the best shooters in the league i would potentially argue he could be the second best shooter in the league behind steph who's on his own you know tier um, that's, a, that's a hot take that's a hot take yeah it is up he's he's such an interesting floor spacer for them because almost all of his shots like 75 percent of his shots are above the break um but most almost all of them are also spot up so he does this like deep above the break spot up game um that instead of creating this crisis for the defense where they're trying to close out from the weak side corner and and come back and protect the rim like they just he just takes somebody completely out of the play um spotting up from the wing from 28 feet um he is just an absolute bomber i think he's so good off a pump and rhythm dribble um it's really it's just special to watch him shoot with those (laughs) tiny and very muscular arms that he uh that he possesses it's hilarious to watch he just looks like a pickup player sometimes with the way he's built you're not used to seeing dudes like that um but i'm all for uh body variety in the nba we need more of it and desmond bain uh checks that box for me so yeah memphis is going to be brilliant Super excited about them. Who we got coming in at number four on your list? That was number four. Or five, I should say. Number five. Okay, this is one that uh, I, I bounced between a few teams. I'm going to not mention the other teams yet because I'm assuming one or two of them will be on your list. But uh, <laughs> okay. I ultimately landed on the Brooklyn Nets. Ooh, very fun. Also not on my list. You did a great job. That's one that I think a lot of people would push back on because it's like, well, 
it's the Nets. Like, look what they just did in the playoffs. Yeah, um, look at their jerseys. <laughs> uh, look at their gray court, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Brooklyn Nets, I am so excited for, for, for a few reasons. I think you're getting, um, obviously you're getting so much brilliance from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Like, these are just, uh, not only are they two of the best players, they're two of the most mesmerizing players. They're two of the guys mm-hmm. that are just like, how did he do that? Uh, what like when Kyrie had sixty points in like the third quarter uh, right. of a game after like not playing the whole year? It was like okay, dude, what is going on here? Um, <laughs> I'm excited for the return of Joe Harris, uh, one of the very best spot up shooters I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. Like this guy was shooting almost fifty percent from three at one point, and uh, unreal. His 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 plus minus numbers reflect that value. He's someone that you can't leave. He's a great on the move, great off the catch. Um, just just a very very good piece, especially next to those two offensive juggernauts. You got Patty Mills and Seth Curry, two other mm-hmm. capable ball handlers and elite movement shooters. So then you got this like crazy dynamic where your top five on offense are all capable of shooting over forty percent from three on the move. Kevin Durant, yeah. Kevin, like okay. So now we're kind of like going with this movement thing where it's like, okay, maybe not as much iso ball this year. Maybe maybe we start emphasizing the importance of movement and creating advantages through lateral actions. And then who mm-hmm. do they bring in to pull it all together in the middle? Ben freaking Simmons. And <laughs> uh, Ben Simmons, for all of his flaws, uh, I think will look masterful in these like space and space ultimate uh, movement lineups mm-hmm. in the middle of the floor because he he's kind of like uh gonna be playing the role of like a Draymond uh in this offense where people were pushing back on that where it's like oh well Draymond's a much quicker decision maker he's been in the system for years he gets it a lot more but uh Ben Simmons has a downhill threat and like this finishing ability that you mm-hmm. never got from someone like Draymond uh Ben Simmons is six eleven has a forty two inch vertical. And is as fast as De'Aaron Fox. I mean, yeah. that combination alone is just like when that guy has four moving shooters spacing the floor around him, quick handoffs, quick pick and rolls, two on the ball, give it to Simmons at the free throw line with nobody in between him and the basket. And it's like, damn, like this is a, this is, there's, there's a clear, uh, fundamental thing going on there that mm-hmm. really makes you think about how crazy this offense can be. And, uh, yeah, the defense is uh, it's interesting because like I don't think these guys are necessarily bad defenders. Like I think Kevin Durant still has defensive value. Kyrie's not like this massive detriment that you'll find with some other uh, offensively slanted guards. Mm-hmm. Seth Curry will play with a high motor. He won't really offer much resistance, but he'll he'll be there. He'll buy in. Um, Simmons is 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 probably in my opinion the best non big defender in the league right now. But uh, he's not like the type, he's not really an anchor. He's not like a floor mm-hmm. raiser. He's not protecting the rim at a high level. He's not a huge off-ball guy. So if you want to include Claxton into these lineups or more defense, then you're losing some of that perfect space right. movement-oriented offenses. So that's the thing that makes me most intrigued is where are they going to go with it? What is going to be like their, their main source of uh, system, I guess, and uh, is Steve Nash capable of implementing it? So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. He might need to just hop out there and start playing. I think that's hey, uh, that would put them in a little a bit of a Steve better Nash shape. Guy, I'm not <laughs> complaining about that. <laughs> yeah, they are. If 
drama aside, which maybe is why most people would be interested in them, but for the basketball, they're an interesting basketball product, man. If they are ready to just kind of play ball um, and and not let everything else uh, tear them down. There is a real infrastructure there that you do get into some of the weird lineup stuff with Simmons and Claxton to try to get the defense, but their <laughs> spacing issues uh, is kind of an understatement there. There was, <laughs> I actually fell for this. There was a while back. Cause uh, I think there was a ball sack sports, a uh, shout out uh, ball sack uh, tweet who said, um, that Nick Claxton shot like one for 24 on free throws oh in the playoffs my. or something like that. And then <laughs> I believed it, but it wasn't true. But the fact that I could even believe that he <laughs> went one for 24 <laughs> from the free throw line, I think says all you need to know about Nick Claxton. That being said, I think Claxton's actually pretty awesome. Uh, I think Love he's one guy. of the, one of the best perimeter feet moving bigs yeah. um, out there right now. And he actually has a little like, he can dribble a little bit. He's a really interesting guy. He played like some point guard at Georgia back in the day. I remember um, just a really intriguing dude. And I would like to see him get more minutes, but alongside Simmons is a little funky. Um, but man, it's hard to get away from just the weirdness and the drama that surrounds the nets. It seems like every other week, there's some other story that isn't basketball related. And that just sort of bums me out. So that's what, uh, what really robbed me of, of, putting them on my list, but I think they are a worthy addition because they have a higher ceiling than I think anybody wants to really admit uh, going into this season. Yeah. And one of the things I would say shows a little bit of promise in the ability to play Simmons with Claxton is Mm -hmm. well in the playoffs, that might be a different thing, but in 2021 Simmons was playing a very heavy load of minutes with Dwight Howard (laughs) and the 76ers were not bad offensively. Like they were good in those minutes. So it's like, um, can he do it? I don't know. Dwight is probably an even worse offensive player than Claxton. Uh, also can't make free throws. Actually cannot dribble or pass at all. <laughs> like, if you if Dwight Howard has the ball, something went wrong in your offense. Um, and, yeah, I'm just kind of imagining, like, this dynamic where you have Kyrie on the left wing, Durant on the right mm-hmm. wing, Seth Curry in the left corner, and Joe Harris in the right corner with Ben That's Simmons insane. at the free throw line. And it's like... Wow. Like this is yeah. this is another one of those teams that like if they just fully buy into this offensive juice and just like say, no, oh, we'll just we'll just outscore the other team. Like Steve Nash was a part of a team like that. Sure. Where it was like, yeah, seven seconds or less, we're gonna outscore this team. Um and they were a contender. They almost got, broke through before some wonky stuff in 07. So uh yeah, I think if they fully buy into this offense, that's another like Denver Nuggets type situation where it's like this unprecedented offense and the driving force is maybe the best scorer in a very long time in Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think this is, uh, in a, a very exciting team drama aside, just the basketball. I love it. Yeah. That, that four out with Ben Simmons lineup <laughs> would give that, uh, that nuggets trio run for their money. As far as a highest offensive rating of all time. I want to see that. I just want to see it just for the score being 158 to 156 at the end of every game. Um, Perfect. So now we're going to transition over to my list. Uh, We're going to try to kind of hit quick hitters on these ones as to uh, respect everybody's time here. But uh, number two on my list, um, I had the Atlanta Hawks. I think the Atlanta Hawks are really intriguing for a couple of reasons the main one being what does the fit of DeJounte Murray and Trey Young look like? I think that is just a question that 
I'm so interested by, and I think could actually have a large effect on what Trey Young's long-term outlook looks like. You know, like that, if he's able to move off ball, I mean, he shot 48% on catch and shoot threes last year. He is one of the most gifted off ball shooters in the entire league. He just doesn't do it very much. He's just kind of chilling. Uh, if the ball happens to find him, he'll put it up 99% of the time. He's just running the offense. His usage is on the moon. So I would love to see what it looks like if he can turn himself into a little tiny bit, which we've all said this and it's not accurate, <laughs> but a little tiny bit of a baby Steph. I just want to see him try to take some off ball reps where he's actually moving. They're setting some elevator screens for him and some pin downs. And he's able to just kind of go around and cut around and get some open threes because he is a killer shooter. And he shot so many threes from 30 plus feet. He shot, I think a hundred more than the next closest in attempts last year. Like his, his efficiency can skyrocket if he's, Cutting down on some of those, I'm not saying give them up. I understand it's a low efficiency shot, but I understand it's also great for spacing everybody out and you're small and it, it saves your energy to be able to just pull up from deep every once in a while. I'm okay with that. Just maybe not like 250 of them. <laughs> I think it would be really ideal for him to be able to let DeJounte run the show a little bit. DeJounte's awesome at putting pressure on the rim. He's incredible in transition, which is something that Atlanta has sucked at for a long time. Um, and that's going to be brilliant to watch, be able to just give Trey a little bit of a rest, let DeJounte just go coast to coast um, off the rebound. Uh, and I'm I'm excited to see what that synergy looks like. And I'm also interested to see what parts actually stick around uh, beyond those two, because the rest of the roster is just kind of weird. Yeah. And it's hard to figure out. You have Bogdanovich. He's a good shooter, but he's a little small to be playing the three. You have John Collins. He's pretty good, but he's another he's like too small to be a center and kind of too slow to be guarding any wings and then you have capella who's starting to age he finished awfully in all of the finishing metrics last year which is unfortunate uh because he used to be a lot higher in those in those and be able to be much more of a vertical spacer but he's as he's getting older he's a little more groundbound and he just does not have touch at all anyeko kongu gets absolutely brutalized on the boards every single time he plays and he fouls too much but i love what he gives them offensively he's a little bit more juice than capella deandre hunter is such a weird player. He's you know dropping 35 in a playoff game against the Heat, uh, and then the next day he'll score four points, and you're like, what? He played 30 minutes? I didn't even notice. He's getting one of those Tony Snell uh, <laughs> 30 minutes all zero lineups. Um, and it's just a, an odd cast of characters around Trey and DeJounte. I, don't, I think it's very far from perfect. Uh, and last year they finished 26th in defense and number two in offense. So they... They just desperately need – I want the – I wish – and this is who DeAndre Hunter is supposed to be, and I just don't think he is, is this, like, jumbo wing who's able to just come in and and be this glue and be the, like, OG Ananobi of the team where he could just come in and lock dudes down and hit some threes and be consistent and provide a physical presence. They lack physicality so desperately, this team. Trey is maybe the least physical player in the entire NBA. DeJounte even, like, he's got his – you know, he's got his defensive ability. I wouldn't call him particularly physically imposing. Bogdanovich not imposing. Collins sort of. He's like a vertical athlete, but I wouldn't say he's very physical. It's just a team that needs physicality. I wish they got like PJ Tucker or something, you know, someone who could just come in and be a dog. 
uh, and, and just kind of mess stuff up for the other team. And, and that's something that bothers me. And I want to see if any of these other role guys can, can elevate into that and, and become that kind of player. What are your thoughts on what the Atlanta's uh, ceiling and maybe what their floor looks like this season? Well, a lot to unpack there. Um, I want to start with talking about Trey's off-ball game. Um, I don't think it's a matter of can he do it. I think it's a matter of will he because we've right. seen that he can do it. If you remember, there was one game this season. I can't remember when it was or how many points he actually had, but he had this juggernaut offensive performance against Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, I He had like almost 50 points, I think, and it was like off-ball stuff. Like they were... This guy was starting on the baseline and coming off of three screens and shooting a moving three from 30 feet away from the basket. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, baby Steph, hold on. Um, that's <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. And he did it on like three straight possessions while they were down in the fourth. And it was like, mm-hmm. okay, he has the juice. Like, he can do this. But will he? I mean, right now, it just doesn't seem like a willing thing. Like, he kind of just stands around. He doesn't even attack off the catch. He catches right. the ball, and if he doesn't have a catch and shoot, he backs up. It. Just backs yeah. up. He's like, all right, let's start a pick and roll now. Now that we're now we're getting <laughs> to the real offense, and it's like, well, you, that that could have been a continued thing. It also has to go do with Atlanta doesn't have another advantage creator. Dejounte mm-hmm. Murray, as you said, pressures the rim well, but also has like a one of the most efficient kickout games in the league. Like this dude doesn't sure. turn the ball over, and he's very accurate and precise with his decisions. So like, maybe having an uh, another advantage creator. Uh, we'll we'll have Trey like seeing like well when I attack off the catch this quickly or when I when I move just ten feet over and like lift to the perimeter I'm getting a lot I'm getting a lot more high quality offense right yeah. um I I also think it's worth noting that Dejounte last year there was just not a chance for him to have an off ball game the Spurs were literally they started and ended with Dejounte I think his right. his like true offensive load in terms of like percentage of uh possessions that were from him was like up there with Luca and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. that's clearly what you, you don't want that from DeJounte Murray. But if you remember in the season, he played with the Rosen DeJounte showed some nice, like quick attacks off the catch, like using his length to just carry possessions, uh, for sure. Move, moving well, using those as ways to generate paint touches. And, uh, I think people forget just how good he was defensively before he had this load. Um, I remember, this isn't even like me in hindsight, like back then I had DeJounte on my all defensive first team in 2021. I remember vividly how good I thought he was like just the level of like this seven foot wingspan, super yeah. quick laterally, some of the best hands uh, of the decade. I mean, this guy is just an incredibly versatile wing and guard defender who can just pretty much do it all. So like, I think having Trey Young as this juggernaut of an offensive engine that will we'll see a lot more of defensive DeJounte again I wouldn't be surprised Mm. if he comes in and makes an all-defensive team while while showing uh more signs of this offensive growth so I think there is uh there are some things to be excited about with them I obviously don't view them as anything near a contender like this isn't a team that you're expecting to uh go into the playoffs and like make another Cinderella run that's not what this team is but uh yeah, I definitely see them as uh, better than some of those playoff team playoff esque teams that they get compared to. Like, I I view the Hawks probably ending up above like the Bulls, for example, in in a playoff mm-hmm. setting, especially if they end up in a play in game. Um, but yeah, I think Trey Young, especially with the off ball willingness, but also 
as you kind of alluded to, cutting down the early shot clock absolute bombs. Uh, getting, <laughs> yeah. Especially in the Heat series. Like, this dude was passing half court and just like, wait, they're not trapping me yet? Let me let me hurry up and get this launch off from 47 feet. And it's like, okay, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely think both of them can take pressure off of each other. I'm expecting some more defensive DeJounte. I, right when the trade happened, I was much higher on the fit than I feel like most hmm. people were. And I think, uh, yeah, the Hawks, I think are pretty pretty good team. Yeah, I like, I love, I think that's very instructive how you're talking about defensive DeJounte being able to come in. And I think that that's part of their idea of this, like almost trickle down economics of if neither of these two guys need to be two of the top three usage players in the league <laughs> next year, they might actually both be able to play better defense. And it would take DeJounte from like above average to maybe great and yeah. excellent and take Trey Young from absolutely awful to still maybe, absolutely awful but a little bit less slightly less, less awful less, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly um number 3 on my list and this is one I'm not going to say very much about because we have a very special guest coming on next week to discuss them and that is the Orlando Magic oh of course um, of course of course as a not going to hide it an Orlando Magic fan even though I forgot to mention I'm wearing an Al Horford Atlanta Hawks jersey tee love right now. it uh, love yeah, it. absolutely. Got to show love to my alma mater, uh, the Florida Gators. Go, Al. I love you. You're still amazing in every way. Um, anyway, I digress. Back to the Orlando Magic. I am highly intrigued in them. One, because I'm a fan of their team, uh, and I cannot put aside my bias and never will. And secondly, I actually just think, independently of my fandom, they are an extremely interesting team this year. I think they're the most interesting of the like pre contending young teams uh i think they are set up in such an interesting way where you got the two jumbo wing initiators in wagner and bancaro and then you have this funky point guard who's setting the table for everybody in Fultz. you a lot of interesting stuff to see with suggs wendell is an amazing passing big and can just do it all you have the the long boys on the bench uh, just a lot of really interesting players there, but I am going to save some of my takes other than the fact they are winning 40 games next season. Mark my words. Mark them. Uh, that's all I got on the Orlando Magic. Do you have a, a brief note to add on them? Um, I, I got to be brutally honest here. Um, the Orlando Magic are one of the probably, I don't know how many it is, one of the very few teams that I actually haven't done an in-depth dive on yet. Um. I've been trying to hit every team this offseason within, like, some construct, like, some way, whether it's mm -hmm. a specific player, a specific uh, fit, things like that. The Magic are a team that they have a lot of young guys who I haven't really dove into a lot. Um, I will say, I have it in my notes, I do plan maybe in the next couple weeks or so doing a Wendell video, which will involve me doing a lot of film studying of this team and mm -hmm. really diving into how Wendell it brings it all together. So maybe then I'll have some more educated takes on them. But for now, um, yeah, I agree. Tons of exciting young guys. I, I'm glad you mentioned the jumbo initiation. Like, there, there's so many different, uh, like we mentioned with the Pelicans, philosophical possibilities here yeah. uh, with the Magic. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see. I, I definitely plan to watch a lot more Orlando Magic basketball next season. Yeah, you're, this is coming from someone who has been like the biggest Orlando Magic <laughs> hater for the last 10 years because of how just sad they've been in their rebuild. Uh, I hated it from 
day one up until we traded all of our players at the trade deadline. It was a frustrating experience. I could not take any more uh, Fournier, Vucevic two-man game. I was so sick. I never really liked Aaron Gordon very much. <laughs> I tried to talk myself into it. You won't have to talk yourself into this team. You're going to just watch them, and you're going to say – they're rough around the edges, and this is an awesome team to watch. You're going to fall in love with Wendell's game. It is – Franz and, and Wendell are these two players that are just like – you don't get a beautiful highlight package, even though Franz's is kind of dope. Um, but you watch them in and out like every single game, and you're like, these guys are as consistent as it gets, and they're both super young, which is impossible to find. They are just brutally consistent, which I think is – such a nice thing to see. But onward we go to my fourth team. It's going to be uh, where I'm living, the Dallas Mavericks, who I'm very intrigued by for a couple of reasons. I'm really interested to see what their lineup construction ends up looking like. And I just think it's going to be really fun to watch Luca and a whole bunch of like fourth best players on a team try to <laughs> try to go and like advance really deeply into the playoffs. But cause I like all their other guys. They, they clearly don't have a second star, but I, I actually like the Christian Wood edition. I understand his screen setting is pretty poor. Um, his defensive positioning is poor uh, and his physicality is poor, but everything else pretty rich, you know, like he is the first big that Luca has had next to him. He has had such incompetent skilled bigs next to him. Um, it really is uh, like a frustrating thing to watch him try to – he creates all this space. He has this on-ball gravity, and then he dumps it off to <laughs> Dwight Powell. And Dwight Powell just can't do anything at all with it. And it's like Maxi Kleber is awesome, but he's maybe a little ill-suited to be a five. And like they can go five out with him, but it's it's a little dicey. So it's cool to see a true big. Wood has awesome off-the-ball abilities. He really does. He can he can dribble, uh, attack closeouts. He's strong, and he dominates uh, mismatches really well in a way that like Porzingis could never dream of doing. And it was the most maddening thing. It was like Porzingis is seven foot three. Um, <laughs> he'll just have DJ Augustine guarding him and just still take a turnaround jumper. Uh, but Christian Wood, like he actually bullies some guys. Like he can he gets his shoulder in. Really nice drop step. Uh, and he's a beautiful shooter. I mean, he's an awesome pick and pop guy, uh, shot 39% on, on pull up threes last year, uh, and over 40% on catch and shoot. He's going to be brilliant next to Luca. Uh, and that's going to be fun to watch. I'm interested to see JaVale as well. I think he gives more vertical pop than Powell does. I honestly think Powell was just kind of like a, a Luca merchant, you know, he was really just, uh, <laughs> really, really benefiting greatly, uh, from his pairing. And I think JaVale's actually pretty good. Uh, obviously he was, um, you know, leaning on Chris Paul last year and things like that. But he's he's a little bit of like a, a floor-raising kind of defensive player. He's underrated in that way. And Dallas was seventh in defense last year. That's the thing. People think of this team as this like offensive juggernaut who, who kind of sucks on defense. It's just not the case. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith, legitimately one of the best 3 and D players in the entire league. I think he's actually really slept on. I'm so glad he got his shine this playoff run, but I think he's been good for a while. He's been particularly good. Uh, was great in the playoffs, hit a ton of threes, and he's just an excellent, truly an absolute three and D player. He's not lacking in either one of those categories, especially he's great at defense. And I think that's, that's amazing. Losing Brunson is tough, but then you substitute in Dinwiddie, who's huge. So now all of a sudden this team got enormous. It, it, you can go JaVale, Wood, Finney Smith, Luca, 
and Dinwiddie and everybody is huge on that team, which is really unique. And I think Kid is going to love being able to deploy these lineups and be able to have um, a lot of size out there. Nobody that you can really pick on outside of Luca, and at least Luca is big. I mean, he can hold his own on switches. He was getting blown by a little bit here and there, but he really tightened up uh, post. Uh, what was it? Game four in in that Phoenix series where he was just embarrassed. Um, defensively, and then he just came back, and he can hang. His defensive metrics actually aren't awful, um, and I'm just interested to see like jumbo team around Luca. How good can we can we make this defense? And then just watching Luca's brilliance um, in the pick and roll with some bigs that can provide a little more pop than he's had uh, in these last few years. Yeah, uh, I, the Christian Wood thing I find funny because back in the day, not too long ago, back when I was a, a Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain fan. <laughs> I uh, I was a basketball reference merchant, and what I mean by that is, wow, this guy has great win shares per 48. He's good. Like, he's impactful. And uh, I remember I, I did a little project in 2020 mm-hmm. where I, like, compiled, like, all these basketball reference metrics and, like, uh, all these different areas of the game, and I was like, I'm going to predict these players are going <laughs> to be really good, and you're underrating them. And it was like... I I, comp- I came up with a, like three players, <laughs> and so far they it's been, it's worked pretty well. It was OG Ananobi, solid Keldon Johnson, okay, and Christian Wood. That was the three. Hey, that was the three. Shout out to Wood, and that was the three. And I I remember I made a thread, uh, because I I had a weird, really weird phase. Uh, I'm a Lakers fan. I don't know if you already knew that. Um, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. It's it's okay. It's okay. But uh, I had a weird phase where I was like, out of nowhere, I just became a Rockets fan for like a month because I, James Harden at one point was my favorite player, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard, it's kind of hard to watch him now. Like, be, after be, be, after being a fan when he was like with this quick twitch burst and all this stuff, uh, yeah, now it's a little bit harder to watch. But I had a really brief period where I was like fully sold in on the idea of like I'm a Harden fan wherever he goes. That's who I'm rocking <laughs> yeah. with. And uh, I made a thread on why they should sign Christian Wood, like a week before they signed Christian Wood or traded for him or whatever. And it was like, hire me. I'm the GM. <laughs> yeah. And then they traded Harden. Daryl. They traded Harden. See, you're a fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they traded Harden. And then uh, Christian Wood's stock just went in the dirt because, I mean, he wasn't going to try on a 11 win team. Right. And uh, I think Wood, after doing a little bit more film work with him, uh, I think. He is a pretty good defensive player, actually, uh, just in the wrong situation. I think Wood provides, like, this athletic four, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. five. He's a pretty quality – he uses his length really well. He, he isn't, like, this type of guy that he'll catch off balance at all. Um, he, He's very well moving, like, in any direction. And uh, to me, yeah, I think he – in this team specifically, will look like a pretty good defensive player. And then with what you said, I mean, the flexibility he has in the, as a screener next to Luka, um, with Luka being, like, the best on-ball, <laughs> the best on-ball, like, passing creator since peak LeBron, probably. Um, yeah, this this team is crazy. Uh, they, they probably got better defensively. Um, which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, I want to just say that he is uh, the ev- what everyone, not everyone, because that, some people saw it. Dorian Finney-Smith is what the optimists wanted Michael Kidd-Gilchrist to be. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. oh, that's um, great. That, that's that's what I always felt about Dorian Finney-Smith. Like this guy is just the perfect role player next to Luca. Um, yeah, they're definitely not a team I see like making a ton of noise because, like you said, it's it, they don't have a second star. I do really like Dinwiddie. Um, that twenty twenty season he had with the Nets, like he performs like an elite on-ball engine and all these playmaking metrics. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. when he's playing off of Luka, there's some juice there. Like, he's, he, right. you notice it in the playoffs uh, with his rim pressure and his passing ability. Um, yeah, he offers a lot of skills to the table next to Luka and then just this super well-rounded, large defense around those guys. Uh, yeah, they're definitely a very good team. Like I said, I still think they're missing, like, the number two guy. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also very excited about the Mavericks. Yeah, absolutely. I like that comp uh, with Kid Gilchrist. We do only hyphenated name uh, comps for for those guys. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Carl Anthony Towns are also uh, just perfect comps for them. You know, they fit right in. <laughs> um, I also lo- uh, want to mention um, Tim Hardaway Jr. is awesome. is coming back from injury. He's going to be a lot of fun, kind of just a unique player in that offense because everybody just fits their role so well. And he can kind of break out of the offense, which is a point of frustration at times, but you need some of that creative energy. Um, And then also to respond to what you said about wood, I do think he is like an underrated athlete. Um, It's one of those things where you mentioned like he is really on bounce. He's, he has a lot of like this kinetic energy, um, but he, he, he's able to, to narrow it in in a way that he remains on balance and he remains steady. And that's a really unique quality from a big. And I think it'll be fun to watch him take advantage of that as a four and not having to hold down the five. I think that'll be really important for him because then he could just kind of, he's not being brought into every single pick and roll and being forced to make these really quick decisions. He's able to just kind of be this weak side help. Uh, and I think he'll, he'll, you know, do really well in that role. So I'm excited for Dallas. I think they're a lot of fun. And then we are running low on time. So we're going to do two minutes on the Sacramento Kings, who is my number five. Okay. Sacramento, hold your complaints. Okay. Oh, we always get the short end of the stick. We're the Kings. First of all, okay. Make the playoffs. I think that is, you know, but secondly, you're on my list because I really like your team and I find you interesting. And I may or may not be bringing someone on to do a full episode on the Kings very shortly. So Sacramento, here's my here's my short pitch, okay? They've had awful spacing and De'Aaron Fox was absolutely incredible next to Sabonis. Whenever Sabonis showed up, he'd average 28 points per game post-Sabonis trade. Now they have great spacing and they still have Sabonis. I think De'Aaron Fox is poised for an absolutely nuclear season scoring the ball. Uh, he is going to be someone who is in the top five range of points per game this season. I think he's going to be pretty efficient. He is a woefully underrated finisher. He is a gifted, gifted finisher, one of the best in the entire league. He's going to rack up numbers. I think he dies on every pick and roll that he plays defense on, and it is really frustrating to watch. And I think the Kings defense is going to be Worse than people expect. Number 30. It's going to be number 30. Yeah. It's going to be really bad. They have Sabonis at the five, a whole bunch of really uh, <laughs> Keegan Murray as a rookie, really skinny and non-physical wings. And then De'Aaron Fox, who is I think slightly worse defender than even like kind of his reputation. And I also think Davion Mitchell, I don't want to, you know, make anybody mad, but I think Davion Mitchell is a little bit overrated as well. He's got some of that, uh, Avery Bradley dog in him. <laughs> this guy's an amazing defender. I can see uh, it 
thing where but in reality like a lot of his metrics kind of spit out that he struggled which granted he was in a tough context he had a hard job he was a rookie i understand but he was also 23 last season like that's pretty old he he i wanted a little more from him i think he gets swallowed up because he's so small um and it makes it a little easier so he does he does have the the off night nickname which is is pretty top notch but i I don't know. I don't know if he completely lives up to it. So the defense is going to be tough, but this is why they're intriguing to me. I think they're just going to score a billion points and give up a billion points, yeah. and that's going to be fun to watch. And they're going to claw every tooth and nail to try to get into the playoffs. Any uh, any short thoughts on the Sacramento Kings this season? Uh, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I just wanted to uh, mention that I'm so glad you threw the Kings on here because – they were the team that I was bouncing between them and the Nets at number five. Good. I really Good. wanted to uh, wanted to hear some thoughts on the Kings. Uh, I think you, like I said, agree with pretty much everything you said. This team is going to be electric offensively. Um, real quick, before uh, we get to this conclusion, I want to mention two other teams that almost made my top five. Not going to not going to get into mention. them. Yeah, not going to get into them at all. Just mention the names. Uh, it was the Cavaliers who. Yep. Uh, I think we're all a little excited about the Cavs, but I kind of know what to expect, so I didn't really throw them in my list. And then, of course, um, the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are just a team. I'm a huge Kawhi guy. Five wings, baby. I'm extremely high on both Kawhi and PG. And then it's like they have this awesome, weird roster construction. I'm excited for John Wall, mm-hmm. even if he might be washed. Yes. Um. Yeah, no, the, the, those are two teams that I kind of know a little bit of what to expect, so I didn't end, them, end up with them at five, but... I did think of them in this exercise. No, oh, great choices. I actually consider both of them and John Wall Renaissance. I'm I'm <laughs> putting my flag down now. All right, we're gonna see it. We're gonna see the Al Horford effect of just sitting out a season in your mid thirties. <laughs> it saves you. But Tyler, thank you so much for uh, coming on board and joining me on this first NBAU podcast. It's been an absolute blast. It's really fun to just be able to kind of unload all the stuff that we've been excited about on these teams. And I'm sure I'm going to have you back on later. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug? Anything you got going on? Uh, just my YouTube channel. I drop videos every two to four days. Uh, I do pretty in-depth breakdowns on different teams and players with like a lot of uh, film and statistical balancing. So if you're interested in like an- in-depth analysis uh, in like 10-minute video form, check out my channel, Hoop Venue. That's pretty much all I got. Boom. Check out Hoop Venue on YouTube. Check out Hoop Venue on Twitter. He's an incredible follow, and we thank him so much for joining on the pod. And thank you, listeners. Thank you for joining. Uh, This is the first episode. You will forever get to say that you have been here since the beginning. You liked NBAU before it was cool, and I'm so thankful to have you on board. Uh, Follow NBAU on Twitter if you aren't already. My assumption is that you are because you're here. Uh, And check out our mail bag i want to see that thing flooded with questions mba university at gmail.com the mailbag is nba university at gmail.com any questions you want send them that way we'll get you onto the pod Um, i'll drop your twitter handle it'll be great also if you like if you liked this or you loved it or you hated it or you were indifferent towards it leave a five-star review no matter how you felt about the podcast apple spotify whatever you listen to your podcast on leave us a five-star review that helps us a lot and tell your friends about us all right If you liked what you heard here today, tell your friends, tag us on Twitter. Let's get some momentum going on this thing as the season is about to start. So pumped to be bringing you content every single week on the NBAU pod and every single day on the NBAU Twitter. 
That's all I have for you. NBAU 